Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, committed to providing targeted cancer medicines for patients. When it comes to cancer treatment, one size does not fit all. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Howard Hoxter, Anise Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers is our way of providing you with the most up-to-date information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about indoor tanning and teens with Dr. Leah Ferrucci. Dr. Ferrucci is a research scientist and lecturer at the Yale School of Public Health, and Dr. Chagpar is an associate professor in the Department of Surgery at the Yale School of Medicine and the assistant director for global oncology at Yale Comprehensive Cancer Center. Leah, let's start at the beginning, which is to say, you know, winter's coming up. And all of us like to look good. We've had the summer months. You get that nice, warm glow. What is wrong with indoor tanning? Well, we have a few uh, research studies that have been done to look at indoor tanning and really evaluate the risks. So the main problem is that indoor tanning is a source of UV, which we know is a known carcinogen for skin cancer. And I think the dangers that we have here is that people are starting to use indoor tanning much, much earlier in their lives than we would see with someone sort of engaging with sunbathing activities. So what we started to see in lots of populations here is that skin cancer was increasing quite considerably in young women. And typically when you think of skin cancer, it's often a disease of older age. So really there were some red flags put up there in terms of thinking about what is a new exposure that people might be having. And sort of all the arrows were pointing to indoor tanning. And this made sense because it was a source of UV, which again, as I had said, is a known carcinogen for skin cancer. Um, so really what we wanted to start evaluating was what is the relationship between indoor tanning and skin cancer. And so now there have been numerous studies that have linked it to all forms of skin cancer, so both melanoma and non-melanoma skin cancer. So, so is it true, because like, I mean, a lot of people will spend time out in the sun and they'll get a tan um, and, you know, there's no, there's no ban on going out in the sun and yet there seems to have been a very big push for uh, really looking at indoor tanning. Is the effect of indoor tanning worse than just being out in the sun or is it that it's just more accessible or that younger people tend to prefer one modality over another or what what's the issue there I think it's a combination of those things. So we definitely see that this younger population is doing this behavior, this indoor tanning. And as I mentioned before, it's unlikely that you would have really intense sunbathing among that younger age group. Um, there's also the thought that the types of UV that are emitted by tanning beds are a little bit different from the sun. So we get more UVA than UVB from the indoor tanning beds than we do from the sun. So it's thought that that could potentially be an issue as well. What we also see with indoor tanning is it's very well marked marketed to teens. So they'll go into a salon, or you can even find this in gyms now as well, and they'll be enticed into signing up for programs where they basically have unlimited access to the tanning beds. And so we found individuals that will go every single day. So if you think about that, it's a bit different than someone who might sunbathe occasionally during the summers or when they're getting ready to go on a trip. Uh, so, you know, it's a little bit tricky to understand, is it the indoor tanning itself, or is it the fact that people might be getting much, much 
much more intense and higher exposures to UV. We do think it's probably the latter, where they're just getting this very, very frequent exposure and also getting it early in life. Uh, the other thing that we've tried to think about here is when people go outside, they might be wearing some sunscreen or they might have protective clothing on or a hat. So that can help protect against some of the UV exposure when we're outside. But when people go indoor tanning, there's typically no protection used. And oftentimes, there are often even lotions that are promoted uh, to try to sort of stimulate tanning to an even greater degree. So it could be that they're getting that more intense exposure as well, just by the fact that they don't have any protection. And so the risk with indoor tanning is higher than the, the the same duration of exposure to direct sunlight. Is that right? So I think, unfortunately, we don't really have those specific data because sun exposure is a bit difficult to quantify, right? right. It's hard to ask someone how often they've really been outside in the sun because we also get that uh, just as chronic exposure when we're walking in between places, when we go to our car. Uh, so I don't think we have those direct data right now, but it does seem as though when you look at someone who can report sort of sunburns early in life or have sunbathing exposures, it seems like the indoor tanning confers a greater risk in this younger population as compared to the sun exposure. And so do we know uh, what that risk is? Like, is there a certain amount of indoor tanning that is okay versus not okay? So in some of the studies that we've done um, in uh, both non-melanoma skin cancer and melanoma skin cancer, we come up with a variable called ever-indoor tanning, where mm -hmm. we try to say, have you even done this behavior at all? Mm -hmm. And when we look at that variable, we're able to see that there is an increased risk just with this ever-indoor tanning variable. Now, it is a little bit tricky because you're going to have high indoor tanners in that group as well as people who have tried it once. But even when we do this sort of dose response, it does seem like even in this low exposure group, which would include people who have only tried it once, there does appear to be an increased risk of cancer. And so when we were talking about the differences between indoor tanning and sunlight, one of the things you mentioned was that it may have a higher rate of UVA. Is UVA worse in terms of skin cancer than UVB? So originally it was thought that UVA did not play a role in skin cancer risk, but more and more the data seemed to indicate that it could be a potential carcinogen as well. Um, so I'm afraid there's not kind of concrete evidence of is one worse than the other, um, but right now they are both implicated in skin cancer. And I guess the, 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 the other point that you had mentioned is really this idea of people getting access to tanning beds earlier in life. Tell me a little bit more about the correlation between early exposure to UV light and skin cancer. Is it that if you get it earlier in life, um, that is worse than if you got it later in life? So um, again, the data on this are that when we look at people who indoor tan uh, under the age of 35, so that's often the cutoff that we use when we have these types of epidemiologic studies, we do see that the risk is much higher in that group than if you had someone who had started indoor tanning later in life. Now again, it's a little bit hard to tease apart and could be that cumulative or frequency of the exposure, but it's also possible that if you're doing this damage very early on in life that the dangers for the skin cancer risk could be much greater because of that increased exposure exposure early in life. Because I know when we've had people on the show uh, in the past who have talked about melanoma, they certainly say that, you know, if you get sunburns, particularly in your teenage years, that's worse. 
Right. And I think that this might follow along that same pathway in that, you know, this early intense exposure to UV from the indoor tanning um, at a young age could potentially increase your risk much greater than if you had it, say, at 35 or 40. Right. And, and there may be cumulative kind of dose effects on top of that, because, you know, even if you go to a tanning salon when you're 12 or 13 or 15 or 16, and then you've got the whole rest of your life when you're in the sun, um, those those may be additive. Is that right? Exactly. So those individuals, as you just mentioned, they'd be getting that indoor tanning exposure, but then they have, you know, many, many years ahead of them where they're out in the sun. They might be sunbathing as well. We often see the behaviors go together. Um, so it could just be that total dose of UV is much, much higher in that population. And so because of this public health and epidemiologic evidence, um, tell me about kind of the genesis behind this ban and, and what the ban is, because a lot of people may or may not be aware that there is such a thing. Sure. Uh, so as public health officials and clinicians were seeing a lot of the research come out on indoor tanning and skin cancer, there was a big push to think about what are some of the policy level interventions that could be done to improve the public health for this issue. So uh, these bans are restricted uh, by age, and they target minors prim primarily. The first indoor tanning ban that was passed for individuals who are under age 18 was in California, um, and that came into effect in 2012. So California was really the leader in this. They had seen the data coming out on the increases in skin cancer, and they saw the connections being drawn to indoor tanning, so they really made a move there. And a lot of the um, sort of policymakers and people who are trying to push this, the advocates, they really tried to draw some parallels to cigarettes. Um, so this was a product that was being marketed that was now being uh, basically researched as a known carcinogen, and it was being marketed to teens. So the bans really made sense as a way to have this other level of intervention. If it was going to be hard to target individuals one-on-one, -on -one, we could at least have something in place that might restrict them overall. So that first ban, as I said, passed in 2012, and since then there have been many, many states across the U.S. that have put in similar bans, either for all minors, so under age 18, or some sort of permutation thereof. So in Connecticut, we were able to pass an indoor tanning ban for those under age 17. And that went into effect in October of 2013. There are a few other states that also have bans in place, well, excuse me, not bans, but have laws in place that are set up as parental restriction laws. And so this enables a minor to tan if they have written permission from a parent or potentially a clinician. So in Connecticut, if you have a child and you think it's okay for them to tan, um, but they're under 17, uh, they are still not permitted to do so even with your consent. That is correct. That is how the law is written at the moment. Uh, now, the problem that we don't quite know about at the moment is how are these actually enforced? Um, so, you know, there is a fine written into the law that says if they find that an indoor tanning salon or a gym is offering indoor tanning to those under age 17, then they would be levied, a, you know, a fine in violation of that. But there's not real good information as to how that's actually being enforced in the real world. So it's possible that a minor might be able to tan. In, yeah. in Connecticut. Has there been any data looking at that? Because I would think that just from a strictly business perspective, if you have a tanning salon, very much like you said, you know, they're marketing to a younger population. Um, how do you really know that uh, they are not turning a blind eye uh, to people's age and really demanding to see ID before they allow people into the tanning salons? 
Yeah, so there was some work that was done um, several years ago in individual states, and then my research group, we decided to undertake a project uh, this past uh, year where we looked at the compliance with bans by having several research assistants pose as minors over the telephone. So this wasn't the exact um, way in which someone would probably go into a salon in person, but it gave us a little bit of information about this. Uh, so we tried to contact a random sample of salons in the 14 states that had bans at the time that we conducted our research. And we were really focusing on states that had bans for those under age 17 or under age 18. And so what we found when we did this uh, sort of sampling of calls is that about 20% of the indoor tanning businesses would say that they would allow the minor to tan. So we sort of deem them non-compliant with the law in their particular state. Um, so at least there is some indication that the majority of the salons, so about 80%, were compliant with the ban. But my guess is that you know we do see this non-compliance. And it's possible, too, that um, over the phone would be different from in person. Uh, so there's still quite a bit that's unknown about the real enforcement of the fines as well as the compliance with the ban in sort of the real world setting. How, how did you do that, that study? Just out of curiosity, I mean, would you phone and say, I'm 16, can I... Can I tan? Yeah, so we modeled it after a, after a study that was done in California, which, as I said, was one of the first states with the ban. And so in that study, they had come up with a script, which we followed, and it would say, you know, I'm about 16 or something, you know, I'm 16 or 17, and I'd really like to tan. Um, you know, am I able to use your facility, or what's sort of the, the way in which I can get access to your facility? And so our research assistants were um, kind of trained to do this script uh, where they would talk to the employee who answered the phone and really get an answer as to whether or not that person would let them into the salon or not. Hmm. Interesting. So so tell us a little bit more about, um, have we seen any reduction now that these bans have been in place in terms of skin cancer development in these states? Sure. So I don't think we have the data quite yet on the skin cancer outcome. What we have, though, are data that look at the prevalence or the rates of indoor tanning in those particular states, as well as just nationwide. So, you know, in 2009, we have data that looked at high school students. And at that time, the most common group of indoor tanners are typically non-Hispanic uh, females, white females, non-Hispanic white females. So in 2009, that group, uh, about 37% of them would have been indoor tanning. And when we looked at that survey again in 2015, the data suggests now that it's only about 15%. Wow. So that's a pretty big reduction. Really great. Well, we're going to take a short break for a medical minute, but please stay tuned to learn more information about indoor tanning in teens with my guest, Dr. Leah Ferrucci. Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, a global science-led biopharmaceutical business committed to bringing to market targeted oncology medicines that address unmet needs. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Genetic testing can be useful for people with certain types of cancer that seem to run in their families. Patients that are considered at risk for a familial or hereditary cancer receive genetic counseling and testing so informed medical decisions can be based on their own personal risk assessment. Resources for genetic counseling and testing are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital. Smilo's genetics and prevention program is comprised of an interdisciplinary team that includes geneticists, genetic counselors, physicians, and nurses who work together with the goal of providing cancer risk assessment and taking steps to prevent the development of cancer. 
More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Leah Ferrucci. We are talking about tanning and teens, and the fact that in a number of states, including Connecticut, there is now a ban on teens actually going to tanning salons. And much of this came from data linking indoor tanning with skin cancer. So, Leah, a few questions for you. You know, you mentioned that indoor tanning was associated with both melanoma and non-melanoma skin cancers. A lot of people really don't put a lot of stock in non-melanoma skin cancers. Do we know the breakdown? How much of indoor tanning results in melanomas, which are really bad and potentially deadly? And how much of this is just like regular basal cell carcinomas or squamous cell carcinomas where it's a chip shot just to take it out and nobody really pays much attention to those so-called, quote, cancers? Uh, that's a great question, Anise. And I think uh, you're right that sort of the non-melanoma skin cancers are often brushed aside. But why we really like to focus in on that is if you start to have a non-melanoma skin cancer early in life, you're going to need to be followed quite extensively by your dermatologist for many years to come. And what we see in younger people who have a non-melanoma skin cancer is that they often have multiples of that, so many of those non-melanoma skin cancers. Uh, we've had many uh, women who are in our study where they had lesions on their face, and that can can be uh, quite uncomfortable for them if they have a scar due to the removal. Um, I think it's a little bit tricky to parse out exactly how many cancers for, for melanoma versus non-melanoma are due to indoor tanning, in part because non-melanoma is not tracked in the same systems mm -hmm. that we have for um, cancer statistics for melanoma. So due to the sheer volu volume of non-melanoma skin cancers, they're just not in those same statistical databases that we have. Uh, so unfortunately, I don't know that I can give you the exact sort of break down there. Um, but I do think it's an important cancer that we need to still consider uh, because of the fact that it can have this high medical cost going forward in life if you um, happen to have the disease early on. Right. And the other, the other piece, I guess, is this whole idea of promotion of tanning salons. And, and we talked a little bit about this in the whole marketing of tanning. And I wonder whether... Um, you know, it's actually marketed as a healthy kind of thing. You mentioned that, for example, tanning salons are often found in gyms. We we promote going to the gym. We think physical activity is really good for you, and yet there are tanning salons in gyms. What is the perception of tanning salons as, uh, as either something that is healthy or not healthy? I mean, do people understand the risks associating with tanning? I think in general, people do not necessarily understand the risks. As you said, that placement of tanning salons in gyms has really been a detriment that we've had to fight against. Um, so connecting it to that healthy activity of exercise has really placed it in some people's mind as, oh, I go and work out and then I go get my tan and they're both great for me. Uh, so that's really a myth that we have to try to separate out. And I think that that's coming across more and more as you see when we discussed some of the figures about the decreases in tanning in teens. I think that's starting to get out there. 
Um, there's also some information where we've looked at how do they promote the tanning and sort of really try to sell it to teens. And oftentimes you'll see salons telling people that it's a great for vitamin D production. Um, now that certainly is not going to outweigh the risks of skin cancer that you're going to get by having that indoor tanning. And really the recommendation for vitamin D would be to get it either through your food sources or through a supplement if for some reason that's of concern for you. So that's another myth that we really have to bust is that you wouldn't want to get that dose of UV just to get vitamin D when in fact you might be increasing your risk of skin cancer. Um, I think for teens as well, there's a big promotion in terms of um, sort of promoting your social desirability within your sort of peers. So tanning is often seen as being very popular. Most celebrities are going to be tan. That's kind of the desired look. So they really try to market that to teens. Uh, there's also sometimes promotion that the fact that tanning might be able to help people with acne. Hmm. Um, that's something where they really try to push that for teens, and that's not proven. Um, so this is just sort of promotion of information that's not going to be accurate to teens, and yet that's really enticing to them. You know, it does seem to have very many of the same parallels that we had with smoking, where back in the day, you know, people would say, well, smoking is really cool, and it can help you to lose weight. And and we know that that um, is... A, not true, and B, uh, certainly detrimental to your health. And there are no benefits to smoking that outweigh the cardiovascular and, and cancer risks associated with smoking. And yet, so much of that promotion uh, was to uh, teenagers and, and young adults. And that, too, you know, smoking uh, is one of those things that once you started, it really had an addictive kind of behavior so that even after the data came out saying, you know, this is a known carcinogen, um, this is detrimental to your health in 10 million ways in one, uh, people just have such difficulty quitting. Have we seen the same kind of addiction behavior with tanning? Or is tanning one of those things where you can go, you can try it, you can get tan for an event and then not ever go back? So I do think we see that group of people who just try it once or twice for an event, as you said, and they'll stop. But there is a segment that seems to develop a dependence on tanning or a tanning addiction. Um, and this is a group that we're really interested in studying and trying to understand a little bit more. And one of the proposed mechanisms for dependence on UV is that as a byproduct of the UV exposure, the body can actually produce beta endorphin. So this is something that can make you feel good. Sort of people often think of this with running highs from exercising. So there have been data to suggest that tanning may have that same response in certain individuals. Um, there's also some interesting work that has indicated this sort of tanning dependence, where they have frequent indoor tanners try tanning beds that have UV lights and then those that have non-UV lights. Hmm. And the frequent indoor tanners basically choose the ones with the UV. So they have this preference for the UV. Uh, so we do think that this tanning dependence may definitely be present in some individuals, which definitely complicates the matter for thinking about how to help them reduce their exposure. So are there tanning beds that are non-UV? So these were sort of research ones where they called them sham tanning beds, and they would just use ah. different lights. So it would look similar, but it didn't actually emit the UV spectrum. And so you wouldn't really get a tan. Exactly. So that could have been you know, part of the information <laughs> that they were getting. But unfortunately, um, you know, in the real world, they all have UV as far as we know. <laughs> so, so in that subset of patients who really do get addicted and who do get this 
this kind of UV high uh, from these tanning beds. What can you do for them? I mean, in terms of smoking, there are all kinds of now smoking cessation programs. We really try to educate patients and give them patches or gums or, or medications or therapy or whatever they need to help them to quit. Are there similar interventions being developed for tanning addictions? So I think this is a new field. Um, you know, we've really only started to describe tanning addiction probably within the last seven to five years. And we're still really trying to define exactly who should be in this group because some people will do it to say that they regulate mood, but is that really a true addiction? We're still really trying to parse this group apart. Um, I do think that there are some researchers that are trying to focus in on what could be specific interventions or treatments that might work with them. And my guess is that they're going to really be trying to rely on the substance abuse literature and sort of therapies that are used within that population or even some of the smoking cessation interventions that are out there. I myself don't do this work, but I know a lot of health psychologists are really interested in this area to try to parse apart how could we actually intervene with this population. So if you are a parent or you're a young adult uh, uh, thinking about tanning, how, how would, what advice would you give them in terms of really preventing you know, even starting uh, tanning. Yeah, I think this is a really tricky question. And in part, it seems to be one where they just need the information. So as I said before, a lot of the advertising and sort of con public perception of indoor tanning is just that it's okay. Or if it's being sold, maybe it is safer than the sun. I think people have that sort of conflation in their heads of it's a, if it's a product I can buy, it must be okay. Um, so I think for both parents and teens, it's sort of that information gathering, uh, which we try to do a lot now with educational campaigns. There has been a bigger push more recently to try to get information out to the public on skin cancer. And I do think one of the most important pieces is just trying to prevent them from even trying it. Um, so with teens, it could be if they really want to have that tanned look, a lot of the interventions that we work on now is trying to promote perhaps something like spray tanning if they really want to have that appearance of the tanned skin. Or can we find alternate activities that might be something like if they're seeking relaxation, perhaps we can move them towards something like yoga or massage if that's really the release that they're trying to get from the tanning. Um, so I think there has to be this education component as well as offering alternatives to them. Do we know that spray tanning tans are safe? I mean, are the chemicals in spray tan safe or are or is it that five years down the line we're going to be having the same conversation about spray tans? There is some question about the chemicals, but mainly it's for the people who apply the chemical because they are in such high contact with it. So the chemical itself is approved for topical application, but there isn't that much information or sort of clear um, clearance on the um, sort of spraying of the chemical. So if you're inhaling the chemical, what could be the implications of that? There are some limited studies where they have looked at that and they haven't seen anything very surprising in terms of risk, but that is a potential concern, say, if you were an individual who is administering spray tans. Mm -hmm. But most likely for individuals who are getting the tans, it is a safe alternative, or at least safer, much safer alternative. There are also lots of products now that are just you apply to your skin with a lotion. And so my guess is that that's kind of the way to move, even if you have a little bit of concern about the spray tanning. And all of these bands seem to be really targeting minors. Uh, the the teenagers. But it seems to me that everything you've told me will equally apply when you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s. It's just that the duration may be a little bit shorter. 
Definitely. Um, so it's interesting. There are a couple of countries in the world that have banned indoor tanning entirely. Um, so those are Brazil and Australia as countries as a whole have just banned indoor tanning for minors, for adults. Um, so that's kind of an interesting move that's been made. And then also I think what's being done in the U.S. in particular, there is a movement within the FDA to try to get some additional information posted on tanning beds so that adults can see the risks more clearly. Uh, there's also a proposal in place through the FDA that there could potentially be a ban for all minors nationwide so that we wouldn't have this piecemeal sort of state level uh, bans. And then also as a part of that, they're hoping that there could be some sort of document that an adult would have to sign acknowledging the risks right up front. So that would put that information right in the individual's hand, which right now we feel like is not available to them. Because it's interesting, those same kinds of of things have been tried with cigarettes, right? Like putting the gross pictures of people with terrible head and neck cancers right on the package or increasing taxes. Have people looked at having a, a indoor tanning tax? So as part of the Affordable Care Act, there was a 10% excise tax that was put on the businesses. Um, so it is thought that this might have had an impact on the number of indoor tanning businesses that were around. So we do see within the last decade that it appears as though the number of businesses offering indoor tanning has declined. And it's possible that it could have been due to the tax. It's also possible that just the decline in popularity that we discussed before could be impacting businesses. Um, so I think the tax has been considered. You know, it'll be interesting to see if that is going to be upheld or not. Mm -hmm. And so for the countries like Australia, which have banned indoor tanning completely, do we find a lower rate of skin cancers there than we do in the U.S. per 100,000 population? So I think Australia is pretty interesting in that they've had really concerted efforts to lower skin cancer overall. So they're at um, a location in the world where they have very, very intense sun exposure nearly year-round. So they've really had to tackle skin cancer at the whole population level. And so I think, um, you know, we can't quite compare because they have such better information for general skin cancer prevention as well as um, for sun exposure. So I don't know that we could tease apart just the indoor tanning piece. Dr. Leah Ferrucci is a research scientist and lecturer at the Yale School of Public Health. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.